Hi, I'm Esther Jun, the director of the Stratford Festival's Langham Directors Workshop, and you're listening to Director's Notes, an original Stratfest at Home podcast. Enter the creative psyches of this season's directors with the festival's first original podcast, Director's Notes. Explore the artistic vision and tireless work behind each production through the eyes of the people who bring the festival's productions to life. This intimate look at our season's play are the perfect pre-show warm-up and post-show reflection. We wish to honor the ancestral guardians of this land and its waterways, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Wendat, and the Attawandarok. Today, many Indigenous peoples continue to call this land home and act as its stewards. And this responsibility extends to all peoples to share and care for this land for generations to come. Whether you have already seen the production or you are currently en route, we thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Thomas Morgan-Jones. I'm the director and adapting playwright of A Wrinkle in Time. The first thing that really inspired my understanding of how all of us artists were going to make this play was when I was researching the project, I found all these old PBS videos of Madeleine Lengel, who's the author of the book, A Wrinkle in Time. And she was talking about a subject that had you know, nothing to do with A Wrinkle in Time. It was about something else. And then in the middle of talking about it, she seemingly like quite casually said, you know, we don't plan the terrible things. We just try to love through them. And she said this, and I remember where I was in my house, I was sitting on a chair and I, I thought I was going to fall out of the chair because it was one of the most profoundly beautiful things I had ever heard. And all at once I thought, oh my goodness, I, I understand a wrinkle in time in a new way. Uh, it is really ostensibly a, a play about the power and the magic of love. And love, love is really, it can be really simple and it can be really complicated and the more I thought about love and the theme of love and love itself, it's, you know, how we give love to others and how we accept love from others is in large part informed by or impacted by whether or not we're able to really love ourselves and believe in our own voice. And thinking about this idea in relationship to making a play for young people, I felt, you know, this is the, the mission of the play as well, is to empower young people to feel loved and to explore, like, you know, for themselves and maybe with their families and communities, conversations around what it means to be loved and what it means to give love and accept love. You know, so that was, you know, where it began. And then because this is a play, it's a play for all people. I mean, we've listed, you know, seven years and up. My son will be coming to it. He's six years old. We've seen children as young, uh, you know, I'm guessing here, but I've seen, you know, there's been babes in arms, uh, but we've seen, you know, two and three year olds be completely enthralled by the show. But it's, you know, that age and up. So I really, I think grownups will love it. But the production itself, you know, we're taking this theme of love and we're making a production specifically for young people. And a lot of my career has been spent in theater for young audiences or theater for early years, making plays specifically for young people. So whenever I hear someone say, oh, they're making a play for young people, uh, one of my first questions to them is, oh, what does that like? What does that mean to you? Because I think it's different for every practitioner. I know for me and for the, the entire company of artists and crew, everybody working on A Wrinkle in Time, the shared philosophy that we have on this show is that to create theater for young people is a kind of honoring of their capacity or their many capacities 
So their, their emotional capacity, their intellectual capacity, their capacity to process and hold story, as well as uh, their capacity for imagination. And I really believe that creating theater for young audiences requires of us as theater creators, you know, the highest level of artistry and sophistication that we can possibly muster. You know, often we hear that the young people will be the audiences of the future. And this is true, but also their their own audiences of today at whatever part of their life that they're in. And every young person, you know, which is outlined in the, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is like every young person has the right to arts and culture and arts and culture that is specifically made for who they are as a human being at the time they are. And so that's that's what we're after is like, OK, so we know we got the theme of love. We know we're making it for young people. We know that means we have to make the greatest show ever that's specifically geared toward them, which kind of led us to how we were going to make the show. And in discussion, it was initially with the designers. Um, OK, well, how are we going to make this show that is you know operatic in size and cinematic in scale? It goes all over the entire universe. And we have this one proscenium letterbox at the Avon Theatre. And what we decided was we need to use all of the materials of theatre in a way that inspires the audience's imagination by creating design elements that are interdependent on each other, that are doing something that can only happen in a theatre. You would never be able to see this production on film. You would never be able to experience it as a podcast necessarily. So the approach to creating the design of the show then was one where we said, okay, like every design element should feel the same as an actor in the story. They all have their own voice. And the idea is that if you were to take any one piece, like whether it's a set piece or a costume piece, video, sound, an actor, if any of those pieces weren't there, the whole production would fall apart. Like they're completely interdependent on each other. And what was exciting about making this play was that it meant that all of us had to be in constant conversation. And I hope that what you'll see when you go step into the theater, like the first thing that you'll see, and this isn't, it's not too much of a spoiler, I don't think, is that when you walk in, we tried to make it that you're walking into a planetarium, that you're walking into a magic space, that you're walking into a a place of theatrical possibility and imagination. And even to get to that point, it was a conversation. What is the sound like? And then what is the imagery that you're going to see on, on the set? And what position is the set in? How much do we give away? How much do we not give away? So even from the moment of, of like crossing the threshold of the doors into the theater, um, immediately we're going for like, what is magic about the production? Which is the next thing about design was we talked a lot um, in our meetings about, you know, there are positive forces in the universe in this story and there are also destructive ones that are challenging the you know the forces of positivity and each of them have their own kind of magic and so what we we talked a lot about was that every scene in the play should feel like there's magic in it whether that's like a really simple magic like the sky or like clouds forming or or a kind word that sort of thing or it could also be positive magic you know like something extraordinary and um, that involves a lot of light and sound or you know where someone can fly or someone can transform that sort of thing but then also too on the destructive side like every every scene needs to be balanced so there needs to be you know like whether it's a harsh word you know or a negative emotion or in some cases, I don't want to spoil anything here, but you know there are very large set pieces and costumes and all sorts of things of antagonists in the play. Like those are very obvious kinds of magic. But we wanted the entire thing to be filled with both sides of the balance of magic all the time. 
I'm a very emotional person, so I have all sorts of emotional responses during the show still every single time I watch it. So a few of them would be wonder. I feel a great sense of wonder when I watch the show, and I'm constantly surprised by it. Uh, even though I've seen it many times and helped to make it, there are so many moments where a very simple thing will happen and the entire dimension and perspective of the stage or the story changes. And it fills me with great wonder. And what I've been experiencing with the audience is their wonder in experiencing it too, which is like um, filling me again anew with the same feeling. I feel a lot of um, vulnerability, I feel, when I watch the show. Because as I was discussing before about what it means to make theater for young people, part of this is for me that we be like emotionally vulnerable and truthful in the stories that we're telling. And, you know, there's, of course, you know, antagonists in the play and that sort of thing. But there are also really complicated conversations that happen between parents and children that happen between siblings as they try to negotiate uh, what's happening in their lives. And as I as I see the actors working through it, it's so honest and like all great theater. Then it makes me also think about my own life and I'm having these out of body experiences. I'm watching the show and thinking about the characters in relationship to each other. But it's it's reminding me of maybe my parents or you know people in, in my life that I have connections to. And that's a great gift in a giant science fiction fantasy epic quest story <laughs> to have that kind of emotional grounding foundation and truth is very, very special. I find that my imagination is on overdrive all the time watching the show. And I, I think a big part of this is that we're really trusting the audience in how we've put together the stage pictures. Something that I think a lot about is the idea of semiotics, um, which for anyone that might not be familiar with the word semiotics, it's very simply how different sign systems or symbols put together create a meaning. So for instance, if a car was driving down the street, like here's this block of metal moving down the street and then a, a light on the back of it starts flashing as it approaches you know, an upcoming street and you go, oh, all those sign systems together mean that car is turning left. What we tried to do is to, to employ that kind of assemblage or montage of, of meaning to create all of the things that happen in the story. And what that means is we've left a final ingredient being the imagination of the audience to put it all together. And continuously as I watch it, um, there's certain moments where I, I can't even remember anymore how we made it, you know, because it was so many different elements coming together in collaboration with each other. And it was no longer about who had an idea or who made the thing. It was that all of our collective imaginations put propositions forward that then created this scene. And now I watch it and my imagination is exploding all over the place. And And again, as I said, about some of the other things, wonder. I watch the audience and I see their imagination going too. And sometimes this means, you know, they're they're moving and, you know, jumping up and down in their seats. And sometimes it's that they're completely still. Uh, and you can almost feel the entire audience holding their breath together. And then the final thing I feel sometimes is uh, pride, but not a personal pride, but a kind of pride on behalf of uh, the festival itself for programming something like this, all the artists that, that made the show. And also I can feel a kind of pride. You know, we've had six previews now as I'm recording this. And, you know, I've probably well over 5,000 young people have seen the show now. And I have felt in them a kind of pride in their own voice and their own experience seen them carry themselves out of the theater differently than than when they came in and we've been receiving an avalanche of feedback about how they've left feeling very empowered 
both by experiencing something that was made for them, but also like really seeing themselves on stage and feeling that that truly that, you know, that they can be loved, that their voice is important and, you know, that they can move forward and that they have something to say. It's over 50 years ago now, A Wrinkle in Time was first published. And so I've had the great opportunity to meet people like generations of people have grown up with this book. Uh, it's been translated into like an unimaginable amount of languages and, you know, the people all over the planet may have a relationship with this book. Now, there might be some people listening, like you'd never even heard of it, <laughs> you know, or like you heard of the Disney movie or that sort of thing. And maybe you have no connection with it, which is really exciting that you can come and and meet a story for the first time. And then for anyone that's coming to see the story, who's maybe like my wife, um, you know, every time we move, she has this copy of the book and it's the first thing she picks up and says, this is coming with us. You know, so like anyone who's, who's read the book that, that much or has a childhood copy, there's so much that's different about our production uh, than the book. And there's so much that's the same. The act of adaptation is really interesting because usually, uh, maybe not usually, um, sometimes one is adapting something from one medium into another medium. And the thing about a book is that the whole story takes place in your mind, and it can also be any duration that you want it to be. You could read a book over three years if you wanted to, picking it up, putting it down, that sort of thing. With the theater, we're adhering to a kind of uh, agreement or contract about time and space. And how we experience story in one shot is really interesting. So a lot of my job was uh, myself and the dramaturg, Keith Barker. Uh, dramaturg is someone who helps a playwright to write the play. Um, we worked a lot on what it means to keep the story active, to keep it moving forward, but also, you know, to keep the integrity of the core of the book. So there are certain things, uh, you know, this is maybe spoiler alert, but, you know, like the Murray family has a dog in the book. I couldn't get the dog in the place. So the dog's not in the play, which is it breaks my heart. And there are certain things about each of the characters or certain plot points, some things on the um, there's a, a planet that they go to where they have to save their father. There's a bunch of details there that I, you know, I just wasn't able to get into the play. And, you know, some people may say like, oh, I missed that part or I missed that part. But I think what I would encourage anyone who's read the book to think about as they come in is that, you know, every time I read a book that I read when I was a young person, if I still read it today, every time I meet it, I feel like I meet it for the first time. Like in some ways, I feel like I'm visiting an old friend, but in some ways I feel like I've changed as a person. And so how I understand the story, how I receive it has changed also. And I think this experience for someone who's read the book many, many times, it may be the same kind of thing. It won't be the same story that you're used to. We haven't assembled it in the same way as it is in the book, but it's a kind of way to, to meet the story again, to meet old friends, characters, situations, plot, as if for the first time, and to see it through the uh, interpretive lens of a great group of artists, you know, that Charles Wallace that you may have in your mind will never be created in any film or stage adaptation because it's very special. It's it's your imagining. And similarly, if you were to see another production of this, you wouldn't have the glorious interpretation of the actor playing that role or any of the roles in a way that the great benefit of being able to see it as a stage production and in adaptation is that you get to meet a new interpretation of something that you know and love. 
Well, that's the end of the pre-show podcast with me. So, you know, whether you're coming alone, whether you're a grown-up uh, or you're coming with friends and you're a grown-up or you're a grown-up and you're coming with young people or you're a young person and you brought some grown-ups, maybe you know the story, maybe you don't know the story. I'm so grateful that you've come to see this production. You know, if you have any feedback, the festival and myself would love to hear from you. And I hope you have a great time at the theatre. And on your way out of the theater, maybe on your way home, we've got another one of these recordings with some discussion about the production after you've seen it. We didn't want to give anything away, but we're going to get into detail on the next one. So maybe we'll see you on the next podcast.